When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right. Happy Sunday to everybody and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics, Corey Chris and Corey. I know you're tired, but how you doing, brother? Good morning, Gary. I'm tired, but I'll fight through it for the start of the uh, official first Sunday of NFL football. That's a positive note to look at today, right? I mean, the Steelers are back. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're soon going to be back to those Sunday routines where, you know, you wake up or in, when, when the fall's still around, you're going to mow the lawn or you're going to go to church or you're going to start cooking. What are you going to do on those game day Sundays? Always fun to look forward to that, but in the college football world, this is where, you know, we don't have overreaction Monday, we have overreaction Sunday, so that's, we're, we're going to try to temper things a little bit today after uh, Pitt fell to Tennessee in overtime last night, and there's a ton to talk about around this game, Gary. Yeah, I mean, Pitt made a ton of mistakes, they left a ton of points on the field, they probably kept Tennessee down a little bit further than I think they had business keeping them down. And still you have to feel if Keaton Slovis stays healthy, they win that game. I felt the same exact way. You know, I, I wrote this in my follow-up, which will be posted uh, alongside this podcast at some point this afternoon. And I basically said, remember when Pat Narduzzi joked, uh, I don't know if it was a joke, that if Kenny Pickett plays in the Peach Bowl, it's a 21-point swing. If Keen Slovis is a healthy Keen Slovis and he plays the second half against Tennessee, where what are we talking about today? Are we talking about Pitt pulling off the quote-unquote upset over the uh, favored visitors who were ranked seven slots below them? Are we talking about Pitt you know, moving into the top 10, moving into the top 15 rankings, you know, this is a win for the feather in the cap in the college football playoff hunt. We're not talking about that, though. And you, you said it. There was a lot of miscues, points left on the board. I counted 24. You might have counted more or less. Um, but at the end of the day, what this was and what this will go down as, if I could level things off a little bit and start doing so, at the end of the day, all this is is a – seven-point loss in overtime to a team they were favored against in an SEC team, which we all know how P 
people love the SEC, you know, when it comes to rankings and polls and all of this. So, look, big picture, you obviously want Pitt to find ways to win this football game, right? But it's not the most damning loss in the world that's going to totally derail Pitt's season. I think we need to Maybe. reel everything back on this, on this, like I said, overreaction Sunday. Remember that this is still a, you know, we have 10 more weeks to go in this season, 10 more games to go, an ACC play and, and a ranked Miami game to look forward to at the very end of the season. So let's, let's level things off. Let's, let's, what do they say? Cooler heads prevail. Let's get there this, this morning. Well, there's overreaction and then there's, there's tangible results, right? And the tangible results are, their number one and two quarterbacks were both injured severely in this ball game by the vaunted offensive line, allowing unchecked rushers to just continually pound them into the turf. This is two so, weeks in a row, by the way, with the offensive yeah, line. And that is not supposed to be happening, especially when your offensive coordinator is using max protect a whole bunch of the game. And Corey, First of all, it does have lasting effect beyond a non-conference loss if Keaton Slovis can't come back and if Nick Patty's ankle is hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, you wouldn't start him knowing his ankle was like that. Right. Now, I don't know if they showed it on the TV broadcast, but Derek Kyler was warming up at a certain point for Pitt on the sideline after Nick Patty. And he's down. listed as the number four, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the deal on, on Keith Slovis. Let's just clear the air right now. Pat Narduzzi never will, never has, and he won't disclose Keith Slovis' injury. He just won't do it. You know, Nick, like Nick Saban once said, I'm not going to, so quit asking. He's not going to. So no matter how many times we ask Pat Narduzzi until we're blue in the face, is Keen Slovis okay? What's his update, etc.? He's not going to tell us. We will know only injuries if he's out for the season. We'll only know at that point. Now, I don't think it's that serious for Slovis. When I rewatched it, when I saw him walking off the field and what it looked like, I thought it was a concussion. I thought it was just him getting rattled from, I mean, those Tennessee linemen, were, I mean, they threw them around, you know? I mean, you said at the offensive line, just the second week in a row with just poor play, and they let Slovis – They and it wasn't just – he got sacked twice, you know, and the stat sheet doesn't look bad, but you saw multiple hurries, multiple pressures right. hit as he threw. Um, so I don't know the extent of Slovis's injury – I don't know the extent of how long he could potentially be out, but here's what I will say. If it has to be a couple of weeks or if he's at the point where maybe he could play Western, then I don't play him at Western. If Nick Patty's ankle's good enough, you play Nick Patty at Western and you prepare that way. 
I'm thinking long term here, and this is if Slovis' injury is not serious. Which again, right, right, from from just watching the game and watching the replay of the the final blow that he took in the first half, I think it's a concussion. We haven't been told anything. There was some report out there last night that said broken collarbone. Nobody else has heard that. That's one guy tweeting that. So pump the brakes on that as well. We'll obviously find out a lot more this week in practice once, you know, we always get a a viewing window. We obviously can't talk and disclose about it. That's how Narduzzi runs a ship. So, look, this is going to come down to um, either one of us insiders breaks it or we find out on Saturday in Kalamazoo who QB1 is. And I don't don't know if it's going to be Slovis. If, if, if the injury is what I think it is, and I think it's a concussion, I'd hold him out if Patty's good enough to play. I can certainly see that, and I think we should take a quick break. When we come back, kind of want to talk about something a little more abstract here with this team. We love the veteran presence of those lines, but is it possible they're a little too veteran? Welcome back to the H2P podcast. Um, I'm trying to knock the fan out of myself and give Corey room to be a journalist here in this episode, if I'm honest with you, because uh, I'm pretty torn up about this loss. The, well, no, let me hear it. Inside and the outside. Let me hear it. What? I, I can understand why, right? But here's, again, the credence that I'll put on it is. The what if, and I know fans don't want to hear what ifs. They want to hear, you know, definitive things. But we said it in the beginning. If Keen Slovis plays healthy in the second half, they probably win that football game. Even then, with a banged up Nick Patty playing the fourth quarter, they still had a chance at winning that football game. Like it was all very attainable. It was all very attainable, which is the frustrating part. But when you take a Take a step back. I think Pitt's still in a good position. Now, again, health hinges on a lot. You know, a lot of this hinges on health, I should say. But again, Pitt's not in the pun intended in the pits because of this loss. They're just not. So I want to hear your your take, Gary, and why you feel the way you feel this morning in in that way. Well, let me do it this way. I have. Three main concerns. I'll point them out to you, and then you go ahead and react to them as you see fit. All right? One of them might be completely irrational. But as I talked about before we went into the break, both lines are filled with seniors and super seniors, and we looked at that as a plus. But as we watched them drop like flies yesterday, (laughs) over and over again, play after play, I started to wonder, do these guys almost have too much collegiate mileage on them to, to survive an entire season? And and that scares me a little bit. And so I guess I, there's one. I wanted to see what you think of the depth. Well, that's a valid question. Now, keep in mind, 
Gabe Hoy also did not play. And I'm looking at the partition participation report right now. You know, Terrence Moore has to play snaps at center because Owen Drexel goes down. Ryan Jacoby rotates in. Blake Zubovic rotates in. Branson Taylor rotates in. I mean, that's four offensive linemen aside from your starters that have to come in and play. Matt Gonsalva starts at right tackles to make that five if you want. So I see the concern on the line, especially after not just one, but two weeks of poor performance. Right. So the question here is conditioning, right? Because it's true. Mileage matters. You know, it's a positive and negative, you know, pros and cons situation. Positives of having five veteran alignment is that you have five veteran alignment. You have five guys that aren't going to make dumb false start penalties and that aren't going to um, get overly excited and they're going to stay composed. They're going to be mentally sound, right? That's the positive in it. The negative in that is is that you're approaching the territory that you're talking about, Gary, with with fatigue and mileage and snap counts and all of this. I I don't know how much I'm going to buy into that because there are players that play four years in college and then go on and have NFL careers, so they have snap counts and mileage and all that too. I think I think this was an issue yesterday of speed. I think this was SEC speed going against ACC speed. And quite frankly, SEC pass, SEC pass rush, SEC defense, SEC tempo, it's just quicker than what the ACC runs. And I'm not trying to discredit ACC ball, but ACC ball plays a little slower than the SEC does. And I'm not saying, again, the line was gassed by any means, but it was apparent throughout the game that, ten, or that Tennessee was just wearing them down. So I think it's a little bit of that involved in it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, on the defensive line, you know, they weren't really able to sub because of the of the quick offense that Tennessee runs. So I think that that did hurt them a little bit. They did express a little bit of pregame concern about the number of, of plays they felt they had on defense to give, mm-hmm. too. And we did push that number. So, Well, the defensive line... I think they stepped up towards the end of the game. And the defense as a whole, by the way, played a really solid second half. You know, Tennessee was one for seven on third down in the second half. They allowed in the first half, they allowed 24 points and 266 yards. In the second half, it was three points and 115 with that uh, one for seven on third down. So the defense did its job in the second half. Um, problem number two, concern number two from, from my perspective, the wide receivers. Okay. Um, Bub Means and Kanata Mumfield, in my estimation, do not catch enough balls that hit them in the hands. And <laughs> I think that's an issue. I think uh, Mumfield runs great routes, and he receives a lot of attention and targets because of that because he gets open. He's not capitalizing on enough of them in my mind. And for some reason, Jared Wayne is only important and in super important situations. They're not using him just regularly. Same with Gavin Bartholomew for that matter. Well, we did see a lot more Gavin yesterday with that sports center top 10. I think it was number six on the countdown 
that uh, that hurdle over the safety and you know run down the sideline. So that was great for Gavin. Gavin definitely had a better game than he did in the brawl. Uh, five catches on six targets, 84 yards, a team high, and a touchdown. Wayne targeted seven, uh, targeted 13 times, seven catches, 82, and a touchdown. Um, your your concerns about the receivers are 100% legit, though, and this is an issue. Uh, that's two weeks in a row now. Bub Means has dropped what, what would have been touchdowns. In the backyard brawl, he had the he had the coverage beat over top. Slovis threw a really good ball, and when I watched it back, I think Means just turned the wrong way at first. And if he turns the other right. way, if he turns the other way, I think he has it, and that's a that's a catch and run for a touchdown. And then in uh, Saturday's game against Tennessee, it was that play in the back of the end zone, which a credit to Slovis. What do they say? What's the adage? If if you throw it, make sure the defenders don't get it or throw it where they're not. He threw that ball where a Tennessee defender could not get it. Means just kind of put it back where a Tennessee defender could get it. You know, it hit him in the hands. It wasn't a clean uh, attempt at a catch. Not that he really could make one. He had to make a really good play to get that ball. But if you're not going to catch it, don't let them catch it either. And that's what happened, and that turned into points. So that's two weeks in a row for Means. Mumfield had the um, had the drop in the end zone, albeit he had to make a diving play for it. Uh, and the last play of the game in overtime, I don't know I don't if he him for that one. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know if he turned and looked for it, but also even if he caught that, he would have been on the two. So yeah, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah, it wouldn't have mattered, but. Mumfield has flashed. We saw him flash in the brawl. We saw him flash in a couple of spots yesterday. He was targeted 13 times, by the way, and only caught four balls. So make of of that what you will. I think there's legit concerns with the wide receivers right now. And then Wayne, for for as good as he is, he had that uh, toe tap in overtime. You know, where both feet came down simultaneously and one was just a hair out of bounds. So they roll it out of bounds. So that's a that's an error right there. And look, we've given credit to Coach uh, Tyquan Underwood, wide receivers coach, and what what they've done with these receivers. You know, it was sure. the positives were out there against West Virginia. There were flashes and and not as many moments of of, of success against uh, Tennessee. And of course, Patty and Slovis being banged up has something to do with that. Let's well, not, you know fully put this all on the receivers. This has something to do with playing with two injured quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that's why I'm I'm concerned. It's it's more of a two week performance arc I'm seeing. And if you are worried about like new receivers warming into a new offense, you worry about them being in the wrong place or not running the right routes or not running crisp enough routes or being on a different page than the quarterback. That's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing just failed execution on actually catching the ball. And that's what, you know, troubles me because you can't have that, especially when you're struggling with a backup quarterback who's playing on one leg and he manages to get the ball to you. It's got to come down. Mm-hmm. What's number three? Uh, let's see. What else do we got? Number three is for me, the uh, kicking situation, you know, Ben Saul's one. And uh, after yesterday, leaving at least six points up there. And that's not counting like maybe they would have tried it if he had been a little more successful on a few other drives. Um, is he in danger? 
potentially of losing his job. Well, here's what worried me is that uh, I forget exactly when it was. Pitt had a fourth and two from, you know, like the near the 30 and Narduzzi went for it. That was after a fourth and three from like one yard ahead and Narduzzi trotted Ben Sauls out there in the third quarter and he missed that field goal. If you notice that. So right. Narduzzi, I don't know if it was a loss of confidence. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was game situation and Narduzzi, you know, all these coaches have these, you know, if you're in this spot, then you kick it. Or if you're in this spot, then you go for it. So I don't know if Narduzzi had that chart or that in mind or just experience with that or read the game situation. But regardless, that second time he was in the same situation, he went for it instead of trotting Saul's out there. Saul's misses from 46. And look, 50-yard kicks are hard to make in college. They just are. Yeah, these are college kickers. Not all college kickers can be Justin Tucker. No, he's Hans Field in, into the open end, too. It's not easy. I get no, it. No, but that was a... That was a miss. That wasn't yeah. like a like a scrape the pole on the, on the wide right. That was a miss. Okay. It wasn't like it was going and then the wind caught it and it. Yeah, it, that was just he missed it. That was a miss. He looked like me golfing. <laughs> uh, the second kick that he missed about five minutes later in the third from thirty six. I think there was a bad snap on that. I'd have to go back and rewatch, but I'm pretty sure the snap was handled a little weird. And then, by the way, the one that he made in the fourth to start the fourth quarter off was tipped. So, yeah, it, it kind of just like. And, and how can we get on the long snapper? Because he's the one that rushed down the field and recovered that fumble to, <laughs> to put in position in the first place. huh? So your question was, do you see Sam Skorton against Western? I'm going to go back to what Pat Narduzzi said after the game about that. And he said. I'm paraphrasing. Those two compete every week. So, okay. so I could pull the full quote up if you really want me to. I, I, don't, I don't think you say. I don't think you say even that bit if he's not at least thinking about it. And that's really as much information as we're going to truthfully get. So, let me let me do yeah. a quick let me do a quick type here, and I'll tell you because he's not going to bail on Ben Saul's mid game. What is that? What does that tell Ben Sauls if you do that mid game, right? right? So, right. so uh, you know you can't do that. You have to ride him out the rest of the game. But okay, so here's the the question was: Is there any way? Is there any way you reevaluate if Skarton could start taking kicks for you again? Direct quote from Narduzzi: "Quote, they compete every week. I think we got the right guy in the right night. Got trusted Sam. Got trusted Ben." Every kicker in the country misses field goals. So you want to bail on them. I'm not. I watch every day. I know what it is. It's not an easy job. So that's what he said there. So if it's true and they do compete every week, is is this a clean slate for Ben Sauls or is this a because you missed two big ones in this Tennessee game, Skarton has a bit of a leg up and is favored, quote unquote, to be the place kicker at Western, you know, I'll get to watch them at practice this week, but Saul's won the competition out of camp and they like his leg for his distance. You know, this 46 yarder that he, that he missed, 
it had good leg. This thirty, yeah. you know, th- this thirty-six yarder that he missed, it had good leg. It wasn't a distance issue; it was an accuracy issue, and that's what you get with Ben Sauls. So absolutely, a lot of people forget that he was still the kickoff kicker last mm-hmm. year. It didn't, you know, it didn't matter who was the the field goal kicker. So mm-hmm. I can understand why why Pat Narduzzi would take that approach because he's probably still going to use them both, even if he does go back to Scarton. So. So yeah, makes sense we'll to me. We'll see. Hey, let's take another quick break. We'll come back. We'll just wrap up a little bit talking about Frank Signetti. Obviously, I want to touch on his uh, father's passing a little bit, and then his overall offensive scheme. Um, and then we'll finish up with Western Michigan. Sound good? Let's do it. We're on to action. And we are back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Corey and Gary with you. And Corey, one last thing I want to talk about with Frank Signetti Jr. First of all, his father passed. Condolences there uh, right before the game, too. That can't have been easy. Um, I'll let you talk to that in a moment. Um, But I want to talk about his offensive format a little bit. Uh, Man, it, it seems so conservative sometimes going with seven offensive linemen down towards the goal line there. I, I, I question the wisdom of that, especially when Izzy of Banacanda is your running back. He's not the type of guy that's going to bowl through that by himself. So I just wonder what, what they're thinking there. They've taken away options from their quarterbacks and their offense, right? In a way, um, let's start with Frank Signetti Sr. and, Obviously, condolences to the Signetti family. Uh, Pat Narduzzi said Frank Jr. found out at about 11 a.m. on Saturday about his father and obviously chose to coach through it. You have to admire him for that. Frank Sr., real quick, for those who don't know, um, head coach at West Virginia from 76 to 79, but he became a college football Hall of Famer at his alma mater at IUP, Indiana University. Um 20 years, 182-50-1 record, 13 Division II playoff appearances, 15 playoff wins. When he retired, he was the third winningest active coach in D2. And again, a college football Hall of Famer. He was inducted in 2013. So legend legend of a man, legend of a coach. And you know his influence certainly is great on both of his sons. Kurt Signetti, uh, the head coach at James Madison, and then Frank Jr., the offensive coordinator here at Pitt. You have to admire Frank Jr. for stepping into the box yesterday under those circumstances and with a heavy heart. And, um, you know, you have to give him a ton of credit for for, for pulling through that. Um, Absolutely. On the football field, I'll give him credit for this. When Keith Slovis gets hurt, you got to bring Nick Patty in. He did make adjustments to the playbook. And he did make adjustments to Nick Patty. And he was calling more plays, if you notice, that were more beneficial to Nick Patty's skill sets. Namely, he put Patty under center a lot, and he brought in an extra tight end. They went 12 personnel, one running back, two tight end. With Slovis, they were running a lot of 11, one running back, one tight end, if you noticed. So right. in those situations, and and they did this at West, against West Virginia too with these 
you know, these jumbo packages, so to speak, with an extra offensive lineman, they utilize play action in that too. So I don't know if it's a telegraph or if it's a tell or if it's tipping because there was a couple of plays I could at least remember at West Virginia. And I, again, I always have to go back and watch these games. Um, you know, the one against Tennessee. But I could recall a couple of times against West Virginia where Signetti would load in with an extra offensive lineman and then run play action off of it and have that extra line and you have six O linemen blocking. So it works in situations, but I think what you're getting at Gary is it's you're seeing it too often now. And you want to see yes. more Gavin Bartholomew and you want to see more Carter Johnson and you want to see more Kai Wright at tight end. Now we again we did see more Bartholomew, it was here. And Carter Johnson laid a really good block. I think it was Means who had a big catch and run in the second half. Carter Johnson was downfield second level making a block. So I think they're going to find ways to get these tight ends more involved continuously, which is kind of what we wanted from from the West Virginia game. So I think week one's play calling at the start was a little vanilla just to get Keen Slovis comfortable. And then obviously they opened things up. I don't know what I could say about week twos because they didn't really have a, a second half to have all these adjustments played out. You know, if right. you really if you really think about it, they had to play two first halves of offense. So you yeah, can't go the vanilla. adjustments were all because of a different quarterback, right? Right. You can't go full vanilla with Nick Patty playing because his strength is getting out of the pocket, making plays on the run, using his mobility. That's his strength. And then it was taken away. It was taken away to start the fourth quarter. So not only did you play with a backup quarterback, who, by the way, competed for that starting job at camp, by the way, you also played with them hurt, and you played with his best trait essentially just checked off. So you have to adjust again. You know, you you played, you being Frank Signetti, played a game where you start off with Keen Slovis, you play two quarters, he gets hurt, and then you have to adjust. Then you got Nick Patty, and he plays a quarter healthy, and then he gets hurt, and then you have to adjust. So Frank Signetti had to pivot probably three times in that game to rework the offense to fit the quarterback and counter Tennessee. That was a challenging game, and and Narduzzi praised Signetti for the calling. And look, I'm not trying to justify, you know, lack of execution. I'll put that out there that I'll say it again. There was a lack of execution. There were a lot of points left on the board, but I don't know how much of that falls on Frank Signetti's play calling. We talked about the receivers dropping passes. We talked about the O-linemen and their injury bugs and, and all of this. It comes down to that execution at the end of the day. I don't know how much of this you could really put on Signetti's play calling. That's a good point. And and I don't want to shortchange it because I, I certainly don't want it to look like we're looking past Western Michigan. But real quick, let's give people a little preview of what we can expect next week. Uh, I don't know very much about Western Michigan, so I'll rely on you. <laughs> so <laughs> the Broncos, the Western Michigan Broncos, uh, Jack Salopec uh, last week against Ball State. 25 of 43, 230, uh, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, Ball State, or uh, excuse me, Western Michigan, a 37-30 winner over Ball State. Ball State, by the way, the team that Tennessee beat going into this week against Pitt. Um, so what are, what are we going to expect from the Broncos? Well, 
Not a whole lot, okay? Now, a lot of Pitt's next couple of weeks hinges on health, right, as we talked about before, particularly with Keaton Slovis slash Nick Patty. Right. Um, Mid-American Conference football, it's it's good group of five football. It's not the best group of five conference out there, but it's good enough group of five football. There are some players that can get out there and make plays. Corey Crooms, Western Michigan wide receiver, 10 catches on 14 targets, 102 yards, one touchdown, only 21 yaks. So he went up and got some tough catches, it looked like. Um, their defense, again, you surrender 30 to Ball State. And Ball State had you know a 16-14 lead at half. They put up 10 in the first quarter. They score points at every quarter, does Ball State against Western. So a lot of this matchup is going to hinge again on that health. If Keaton Slovis plays, I think Pitt doesn't really have a problem here. If Keaton Slovis sits and Nick Patty plays, as long as Nick Patty's healthy, I still don't think Pitt has a problem here. I'm not putting Pitt on upset alert against Western, and I won't put him on, on upset alert against Rhode Island. Now, the cliche of get right, this this week and next week are get right games for Pitt before ACC play starts. So all right. of this talk about cleaning up the O-line and cleaning up the secondary and cleaning up the offense, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the offense, uh, the wide receivers, whatever it is, you got to get it done this week against Western. You know, you gotta you gotta go out there and you gotta kinda punch Western in the mouth and, and put your foot back down because now people are starting to watch. After the Tennessee game, people were obviously watching West Virginia. People are watching what Pitt does. And fans particularly, again, sky might be falling, college football playoff might be out the window. I think there's an avenue there if a lot happens, but you know, it's still week, you know, we're in week two. We're just getting past week two. So I don't see an issue with Pickett and past Western, but a lot of it does hinge on health. If Derek Kyler has to play, who knows? You know, but at the end of the day, Pitt yeah. still has just gobs of talent, and it's just way off the board better than than Western. So on talent alone, Pitt should just win. But I know a lot of you have concerns about last year and what happened. So any given Saturday. But Pitt should still win on Saturday, regardless of quarterback, regardless of who plays under center. Yeah, and that's that's why I didn't want to leave a whole lot of time for it, because I, I really don't think it's going to come down to individual matchups. There's not a receiver I'm super worried about. I'm not 100% concerned about their quarterback beating the one-on-one defensive scheme in the, on the cornerbacks. It, it seems to me more of a just play like you're a – better team and you should be okay <laughs> but yeah play like you're an acc team act act like you're a top 25 team it, at this right. at this point next week in about in exactly seven days from now when we're sitting in these chairs recording this show we should be talking about pit cleaning it up pit getting healthy pit rolling western and looking forward to cleaning more up against rhode island yeah, and I also think that we're both, uh, and this is something I think more for uh, listeners of the show. I think we're we're both intelligent enough that we're not going to uh, gloat about beating a team like Western Michigan by thirty or whatever. <laughs> so no. you you can probably not expect us to go play by play through it the way we did this one. Um, maybe that'll leave us some room to talk about some other stuff, Corey. 
I think it but will. Good stuff, man. I think it will. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Great good stuff, stuff though. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, even though it was a, a poor outcome, I do think there was good stuff to learn yesterday. And I think uh, moving forward, the ACC is still in play for sure. So let's just uh, keep that in mind. And this I, loss to Tennessee, to say. this loss to Tennessee did not torpedo the season. I'll end with that. There, the ACC is still very, very much in play. The next toughest matchup is the last one of the year against Miami. So That's everything, right. everything, and I, I wrote about this. You'll read it today on Sunday. Everything is still in front of Pitt. The sky is not falling. It will be okay. Right. I mean, it's not like we're, we got beat by Marshall. Oh, or, <laughs> or, or Appalachian State, which by the or way, Appalachian game, State, right? Which, which by the way, College Game Day is going to uh, Boone, North Carolina, which is awesome. So, yeah, wow, yeah, Pitt's not oh, Pitt's not in a Notre Dame situation. They're not zero and two right. with losses to Ohio State and Marshall. You know, they're one and one, and no conference to pin your hopes on either. So, yeah, well, I mean, come on, Pitt's one and one. They lost to a SEC team that was favored by this by that margin in overtime. Big picture here, folks. It'll be all right. It will be, and that's why we're still going to end the show the way we always do. H two P, hail to pit. <laughs>